0: Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans. Walters would like to thank you in advance for masking up. D.C. COVID restrictions have been put back in place, requiring everyone dining indoors to wear a mask. While this isn't what Walters was hoping for, Walters will comply with D.C. regulations.
1: Walters would also like to thank Max Scherzer for the last seven years. It's been a real pleasure watching greatness every five days. We're
2: driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. First pitch. Ortega blasts one to deep right center field. Robles back to the warning track, looking up, and it's gone. Rafael Ortega hits just his third home run of the year. He takes Ross's first pitch slider over the wall in right center and a big inning for the Cubs. They lead it 5-1.
0: And welcome to Nats for Sunday, August 1st, 2021. Yes, August has begun. The Nationals' nightmare of a July is over. The Nationals ultimately went 8-18 eight in July To say nothing of everything else, the dismantling of the team via trading away eight players, the terrible Steven Strasburg news him undergoing surgery for TOS, a game being suspended due to gunfire outside Nationals Park, a second major COVID-19 outbreak, a number of injuries for the Nationals in the month of July. It was unbelievable what went down over these last 31 days. Along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Good to have you with us. Thank goodness July is over. Nats ended it appropriately with a loss, a 6-3 loss to the Cubs at Nationals Park on Saturday night in game two of a three-game series. Mark, is there like an exorcism or a ceremony that we can perform to rid the Nats of the bad juju that was July 2021?
1: You sure hope so, Al. And I'm going to tell people something here, and this is going to be hard to hear, but this is the truth. Eight and 18 in July, it is their worst month since June of 2010. Wow. Yeah. Even during all those other years, there was not one bad month like this in there. That shows you where we are right now and what we're looking at moving forward. Like, you don't go eight and 18 if you're a contender, at least this franchise never has since they've been here in D.C. So worst. And it's like the what does that work out? to? It's like the fifth worst month in Nationals history overall. And like I said, the worst in 11 years. So this is who they are now. And a lot of things went wrong in July. You could not have drawn that. Out. You couldn't have said on July 1st, predict every possible thing that could go wrong this month. You wouldn't have come up with all the things that happened to this team. Not possible. And Certainly wouldn't have predicted the ending to it all. Now it's up to them to turn the page, go to August. There's obviously a new mission here. This is not quite the same as when the last month began. and Try to make the most of this and use these last two months as a chance to truly evaluate what you have so that moving into next year, you hopefully don't have to deal with any more months like this.
0: It's incredible how the calendar played out. The month of June ended with the last win of that 14 wins in 17-game surge. The final game in the month of June for the Nats was a 15-6 win over Tampa Bay on June thirtieth. that completed that two-game sweep of the rays that also ended what was a four game winning streak it was like it worked out perfectly from a standpoint of june ended and that's when the winning ended you know that's when the all time month for Kyle Schwarber ended and then he ends up getting hurt like 5 seconds later it's remarkable how the month of july played out well thank goodness it's over and let us hope for better days in august and september of this year. Well, it is a new era for the Nationals, and man, if you like, were not aware of that, all you had to do was look at the lineup for this game on Saturday night. All kinds of fresh names in fresh places in this lineup, led by Victor Robles in the leadoff spot. Perhaps no sign greater of <laughs> Davey Martinez tapping out on the season than him finally putting Robles back in that leadoff spot, it was supposed to be the deal going into the season, as we remember, and then like eight games into the season, Davey pulled the plug on that and Robles basically had not been back there since I think he'd done it a few times. But otherwise, I mean, he'd been buried in the eight spot, if not the nine spot behind the pitcher. The other funny thing was another one of Davey's least favorite guys, Jeffrey Rodriguez pitched pitched for a while in this game and for once pitched in like a non-blowout situation. So, Mark, I feel like those are the ultimate tells of where we're at. Robles batted leadoff, and uh, my guy J-Rod was out there in semi-meaningful action on Saturday night.
1: And I'll give you a third one, the other evidence of how things have changed he double switched out his cleanup hitter in the sixth inning.
0: That's right. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. I mean, he, we, we'll see Davey do that, not in the past. I mean, that right there told you where we're going with this. So yeah, it is a different direction. And I'm very interested to see how Davey handles this because it's not really in his character to think like that. You know, he is, I'm going to do whatever I can to win today's game, go 1-0 and today, and not going to try to put people in a position just to see what they can do and how they handle a situation. If he thinks he's got somebody better on the bench or in the bullpen or or in a different spot in the lineup that he thinks can give him a better chance to win the game, that's his tendency is to do that. Now, in this game, we saw some different things, and maybe we're going to see more of that moving forward. This really is, I think, among from everyone else in the organization, I think this may be hardest on Davey because this is not the team that he took over four years ago. It's not really a situation he's been in a long time, since probably going way back with Tampa Bay as a bench coach for Joe Madden. It's not what he signed up for, but this is now what his charge is. The task assigned to him is now different than it was only a week ago. And I'll be interested to see how how he does with that. But I think what we saw in this game, there was a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, and some reason to, to realize that it's not all going to be fun <laughs> the rest of the way. There, there's going to be some harsh reminders here of what they're actually dealing with.
0: That cleanup batter, by the way, who got double switched out, Yadiel Hernandez, another guy who you don't see Davey start often. So yeah, all kinds of tells going on with this game on Saturday night. I mean, to me, there is a silver lining to these final two months if you are Davey. And, and that is, well, first of all, the pressure's off you. So like, in no way should you be judged on your record over these final two months. But the other thing is, this does afford you a chance to try some things and experiment with some things, and give people legitimate chances here to see what they are. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, even from Davies' perspective. Like, let's find out if Victor Robles can be a leadoff batter. Put him in there. Let's see what the guy can do. Let's see if Carter Keeboom, once and for all can be an everyday major league third baseman. I mean, you know, I brought this up before. I know the Nats have been reluctant to do it, but. Why not try a few opener scenarios over the course of the final two months of the season? See if maybe some guys in the bullpen are up for that. Maybe, especially now with the rotation, the the depleted state of it, maybe that's a strategy the Nats can employ moving forward. Davey did talk about it in spring training, how he was open to the opener this season. Like, this is kind of a blank canvas, these final two months. And the Nats should take advantage of this. They haven't had something like this in so long, like an experimental phase in a regular season, a sustained experimental phase in a regular season. We have that here. And I think there's a real opportunity here to exploit some things and to develop some things and to cultivate some things that maybe you can use to your benefit in future seasons.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if the opener is going to be part of the plan or not, but, you know, beyond that, yeah, I mean, this is experiment time. It's, I wouldn't even call it experiment time. It's evaluation time. And, and that has to supersede anything else. So yeah, there may be spots where, Davey's inclination as a manager is to say, eh, this starting pitcher isn't kind of a jam here in the fifth. I don't like how this is going. I'm going to go get somebody from the bullpen. And in reality, the better move, the more important move might be leave him in and see how he handles it. You know, Late in the game, it's a key boom at the plate with a couple runners on base and a righty on the mound. His inclination might be send up a pinch hitter who hits left. You try to get the platoon matchup for that at bat. Well, no, in the bigger picture here, it's probably more important to see how Kiboom handles that situation. So I'm interested to see how this all goes. Is he able to do that? Is that the, the straight up directive from the front office to do that? You know, Davey keeps talking about trying to win, go 1-0, and but you can see, especially in this game, that that's not necessarily the all-in emphasis that it was just only a few days ago.
0: Do you think Mike Rizzo has told Davey to do certain things down the stretch, i.e., Davey, you're going to bat Robles leadoff moving forward. You're going to start Carter Keyboom game in game out. You know, you're not going to play someone like Gerardo Parra all that much anymore. Do you think Mike would tell Davey to do these things, or do you think Mike truly does leave it up to Davey?
1: I don't know. It's that's a good question. Generally speaking, Rizzo is the type who he always says like it's my job to assemble the roster, and then it's Davey's job to set the lineup and the rotation and just make bullpen decisions, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, they talk every day before the game, after the game. So they go over all these things and I'm sure they discuss it. But is it a straight up directive from him from the front office and Davey is taking that? I don't think so. I know there are other GMs and other organizations in baseball now where really the front office is setting the lineup every day. I've never gotten the sense that that's the case here. And just because of Rizzo's old school personality and and style and, and respect for Davey. You know, let's acknowledge that he he doesn't view Davey as an underling to him. I mean, he views them as equals and they're in this thing together. So I think he's the type who might bounce ideas off him. And obviously, like I said, they talk every day about everything. Uh, But I think ultimately he lets Davey decide what he thinks is best when it comes to those kind of playing decisions.
0: Yeah, I did want to ask you that because of what you just said, that there is a big thing now in baseball of the baseball ops department's. Govern like everything, including lineups. And uh, yeah, it it hasn't certainly seen that way with the Nationals over the years. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping off point to metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer
3: Here's the pitch. Swing and a high
4: drive. Deep left center field, but playable. Moving over the center fielder. Calling off as Ortega makes the catch. Beltesh coming down the line to score as Ortega fires the third. So sacrifice fly and a run batted in for Keyboom is his first of the year swinging at the first pitch.
0: So one specific thing about this lineup that was interesting, Luis Garcia was a number five batter again. He was a starting shortstop on Saturday night. He was not the starting second baseman. Osiris Escobar did not start for like the first time in forever. This is like the end of the Cal Ripken Ironman streak. Osiris Escobar not starting for the Nats. That's interesting. Garcia at shortstop. Do you think they see that as a possibility for him moving forward?
1: We're going to see some of it. I don't know that he's going to only be at short. I think there's going to be a lot of him at second base as well. But it is something they want to look at. Now, defensively in Rochester, I, I want to say he had something like 16 errors at shortstop, specifically at shortstop. So he's very raw there. There's always been that question of, is he the long-term answer at shortstop? And then I think, you know, we were all thinking for a long time that Trey Turner is going to be their shortstop. And so when Garcia comes up, there's a hole at second base, and that's probably where he's going to be. So I think they're still trying to figure that out. And I'll tell you what, of all the things that they now have to decide in the next two months, when you get to the end of this, there are things you want to have a better idea of. I think high on that list is, do we have our shortstop here or do we need to go get one? You know, they just signed Brady House, the draft pick. He's not coming up here anytime soon. He's 18 years old and he's just starting his career. So for people who say, oh, well, they traded Trey Turner because they know they've got the next one waiting in the wings. No, no, this is not that kind of situation at all. Now, remember, when they traded for Trey Turner, there was some thought that, okay, that's Ian Desmond's replacement. And I think there was one year where Danny Espinoza was the shortstop. But ultimately, yeah, that was Trey Turner's job once Desmond left in free agency. But that's not the case here. So, I mean, there is a huge open-ended question of who is their shortstop in 2022. And if it's not from within, and I would assume that the only one from within that it would be is Garcia, then they have to decide maybe they're spending money on a shortstop. We talk about all this great class of shortstop. Maybe they are actually looking at that, or maybe they're finding a short-term temporary thing. Maybe Alcides Escobar comes back in some capacity. So I think that is one of the most important questions they have to answer here in the next two months is the position of shortstop.
0: Yeah, I have seen that too. Of like, House was drafted to replace Trey. The MLB draft—it's not the NFL draft. You don't draft guys to replace guys. You, you draft guys, and you hope years down the line they become something for you. But there's so much variance with these draft choices. There's so much time between when a guy is picked versus when he debuts in the majors. So yeah, you you can't ever think. Just take the best player available in the MLB draft. You don't ever get caught up in you know positions and things like that. All right, so we have Garcia at shortstop. We did have Carter Kibum again at third base in this game, and. You know, it was another game in which we saw some defensive struggles for Carter. He went 0-3, did have an RBI sack fly in the game. But, you know, he doesn't look comfortable in the field. And, you know, we saw this when he played shortstop for the injured Trey Turner a few years ago. And we've seen that here over his brief time back up at the major league level over these last few games at third base. He has a one-out throwing error in the top of the third inning on Saturday night. A Wilson Contreras grounder makes a nice backhanded stab while crossing into a foul territory. So, I mean, Carter got that part right, but the throw was off. And
2: the pitch on the way. Ground ball, third base side. Backhanded by Keeboom along the line from foul ground. He fires high. Zimmerman, a leaping catch, comes down off the bag. So Contreras is safe at first. Keeboom was able to backhand the ball, had time, releasing the throw from foul territory, but too much air under it.
0: We've seen him have issues with throws. You know, we saw him allow the uh, Patrick Wisdom hard hit grounder to go under the glove on what ended up being a two out, two run first pitch single by Wisdom, top of the eighth in that game on Friday night. Uh, you know, key boom. I know the defense has never been the strong suit, but there has to be a level of acceptable defense if you're going to play a key position like third base. And we haven't seen that so
1: far from him. And they all look like uncomfortable plays. David talked about the footwork being an issue, especially with his throws. Okay, there is that. But I mean, I almost feel like this is less about defensive mechanics and all that stuff and more about just confidence and about feeling comfortable out there. And for a guy who, you know, it's one thing a year ago when they made the transition to third base, but he's been doing it for a long time and he's doing it in the low pressure situation of AAA for the majority of this season. It seems to me like he is still not 100% confident in himself out there. And I don't know if that's just like in his head, plays are happening too fast. He's letting things, you know, letting the game move too quickly on him. If he is feeling the pressure and he knows, hey, this might be my last shot at sticking here and showing them that I am actually part of this future, you know, because everything up to this point has suggested that he has not been able to seize those opportunities. So I I don't know, but it seems to me from my untrained eye that this isn't really about, oh, well, we just got to work on his mechanics or his footwork and all that. But like this, he needs a confidence boost more than anything. And it probably applies to the plate too. It's the whole package here. If it's me and I'm trying to talk him through all this, I'm saying this, look, when we brought up you here in the past, there's been pressure on you because we're trying to win and we needed you there. Right now, the pressure's off. You're going to play third base every day. You don't need to look over your shoulder. If you have a bad game, you're not going to be benched the next day. You've got this job for the next two months. Go out there, relax, play the game you know how to, and then we'll figure things out at the end of the season. Now, can they explain that to him? And can he take that and actually run with it? That may be the key to him having a chance here long term.
0: Yeah, he certainly looks lacking in confidence at the plate. He doesn't look like he believes in himself. And I, I think there's almost this this thing of like, OK, the last two years, right, the last two spring trainings, you were told he's going to be the everyday third baseman and the opposite ends up being the case. So it's like he, he's, he's got this uh, almost like shell shock nature of like, OK, every time they tell me something, you know, they yank the football away from me, like Lucy with Charlie Brown, that sort of a thing. And so I don't know, even if Davey said to him, Carter, you're a guy the rest of the season. He's like, okay, you say that now. What about a week from now? So, yeah, I I think a conversation like that, though, if it hasn't been had, would make a lot of sense to have. I think they should do it with Robles. I thought Robles actually looked pretty good at the plate on Saturday night. I mean, I know it's one game. We know we're not going to go nuts with it. But got on base a couple of times, uh, reached base via error, made a hard out. Like, this is what he can do. His biggest issue this season, really, he hasn't hit balls hard. So even if he's making loud outs, like that's progress for Victor at the plate.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a good performance there. And, and, you know, I lo- went back and looked at the numbers in his career and it, it's a small sample, but in his career, when he's led off in the big leagues, he has got a 360 on base percentage. When it's overall across the uh, the entire time, it's like 320. So whether there's something to that or not, I don't know, but he has shown an ability to get on base. And if you're leading off, that's all that matters. Doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you get on base. And so yeah, I thought there were some good quality bats. Even he had, um, Uh, the air that he reached on it was a seven pitch at bat long at bat there the single the uh the walk in the ninth inning those are all good things so more of that i agree i said it the other night maybe david was listening just put him out there now what do you have to lose when you look at who else they're putting in this lineup it's not like there's somebody he's taking that spot away from (laughs) it's not like oh well we we can't hit robust lead off because somebody somebody else needs those at bats instead of him no they don't have that and and i think Davy's admitting that. And I know you asked the other night about why he wasn't playing and Davy did confirm that it was about his back and they want to make sure he was fine. The lineup came out a little bit late before this game because they wanted him to take BP and make sure that he was fine. Well, he's fine now physically. And uh, with due respect to Andrew Stevenson, I think you have to say, Victor Robles, you're our center fielder and probably leadoff hitter the rest of the way. And you can still get Stevenson at bats like we've talked about in left field. But Robles has got to play a lot the rest of the way because if I said shortstop was a key decision for them center field is right there as a key decision. You want to be strong up the middle. I mean, think about what the next two months are about shortstop center field and catcher. And hopefully we're going to find out here soon when we see the kid get called up Ruiz, if he is the answer or not. And that is where you have to move moving forward. That's what you got to look at being strong up the middle. All those positions are critical now the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, from a position playing standpoint, the rest of this season really is all about Robles, Keyboom, Garcia. And what are they? How do they look? And are they building blocks for the future? Or do you have to look elsewhere? But you really want to try to get full definitive answers on those three guys over these final two months. So they should be playing as much as possible. Just put them out there. Let's see what they end up being. Interesting game on Saturday night for Juan Soto. Has a double and a walk. He also, though, grounds into a game-ending double play, another double play for Juan. This is now 19 on the season. He had totaled 21 double plays over the previous three years. We've had that conversation before, but it really is something, the frequency with which he's hitting the double plays. Also had a crucial error in the game, a run-scoring error, two outs top of the first, the baseball going off his glove, and then behind him on a full-count liner off the bat.
4: The 3-2 swung on, line to right. Soto backing up, and it's off his glove, and we will go all the way the bullpen fence. Ortega will score. Wisdom around second, heading for third. The relay by Adrian Sanchez is not in time.
0: What do you think Soto thinks about all this? I mean, it's hard to envision Juan Soto being mad about anything. He's such a gregarious, jovial person, but I'm sure he doesn't love the fact that so many of his boys have been traded away and the team, at least for the rest of this season, doesn't figure to be very good. What do you think is going through Soto's mind right now?
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking to him in the next couple of days they're they're trying to set that up for us Uh, you know we talked to brian zimmerman before saturday's game because it was important to get his thoughts on the state of things and i think juan Soto was probably next on that list of the remaining players and it's important to hear what he says so i don't know exactly but i'll just say this think about ever since he was called up it hasn't been that long but he's now been a part of this team for four seasons ever since then they have been a contender or believed that they were contending where every game mattered they were trying to win He wins a World Series in his second season in the big leagues. He's a superstar. He has never had to experience anything like this. Not at this level, obviously. And that's a daunting thing for him. And and it's not just, okay, oh man, I got to start getting used to the idea of we're rebuilding. We might lose games. But we're rebuilding and it's all about me now. I'm the focus of this team. Zim even said it. Like, this is Juan's team now. They have to build around him. He is the face of the franchise. Now, Zim knows what that's like being a face of the franchise at a young age on a team that's not good. And he knows that that's a challenge and that not everyone is cut out for that. But he feels like Juan does have the makeup, the personality, the drive, the you name it, to do that and handle it well. He's never been phased by anything that he's had to deal with. But I'm sure there are going to be nights, and maybe this was one of them, where he's just not feeling it. (laughs) And it's kind of a lackluster game. And you're looking at who the players are around you in the field and in the lineup, and these are not the same guys you're used to, and you're trailing by a few runs. And I could understand how it could be tough for him to get up for every at-bat in every game. And that's going to be the challenge now for him and for the coaches and others around him to keep him up because people are going to take his lead the rest of the way. And and maybe it's unfair to put that on a 22-year-old but it is going to be the case. They're going to look to him. And if he's playing with energy and enthusiasm and fully invested in everything, the other guys will. And if he's not, it's going to stand out. We're going to notice it. And that's not going to be good for anyone.
0: He's second in the majors with 72 walks. I can only imagine what that walk total is going to end up being with the state of this lineup the rest of the season. I mean, he's number one in the majors and on-base percentage at 425. I mean, how high might that thing climb as the rest of the season goes just with all of the walks that he figures to accumulate Uh, as the season goes on. Well, the national starting pitcher on Saturday night was Joe Ross. I have a saying when it comes to old Joe, you spin the wheel, you make the deal. You never know what a Joe Ross start is going to lead to. His last outing was terrific. He was coming off the 10-day injured list. He'd been on that for a while with the right elbow inflammation, five scoreless innings in that 6-5 loss at Philadelphia this past Monday night. And off that excellence, we get uh, some dreck from Joe on Saturday night. Five runs, four earned, and four in four and the third innings. It's amazing, Mark. I mean, he's either really good or really bad, and he was the latter, unfortunately, in this game. Gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. Did have five strikeouts versus one walk. I mean, it wasn't like a complete train wreck in the game or anything like that. Also, had another hit. The guys had so many hits this season in terms of, you know, batting as a pitcher. But 18 starts now for Ross this season. He has an ERA of four, and the route to that is just incredible. He has 5 starts in which he's allowed at least 4 earned runs as compared to 7 starts in which he is allowed 0 earned runs. I mean it's Jekyll and Hyde with Joe Ross and we got another example of that on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, it happens about once every 4 or 5 starts it feels like this is what you get. And and it mostly happened in the fourth inning in this one. Now, his defense let him down. He was not helped in a lot of ways. Yadiel Hernandez in left field struggled. We talked about Tíboom Garcia, the play that Soto couldn't make in the first thing. So there is all that. And yet there was ample opportunity for Ross to pitch his way out of this, and he did not. And that inning, a couple of doubles, the home run to Ortega, the leadoff hitter on a first pitch, that's the kind of stuff he's got to avoid. He's got to avoid the big blow-up inning. That's what's killed him, essentially, this year. it It's not even like, even within the bad starts, you can usually point to one inning where it kind of falls apart. That's what's holding him back from becoming a really good, consistent, middle-of-the-rotation big league starter. And that's the next step for him, is to do that. If you you've got the good stuff on a given day, you can be great, go six inning to no runs, one run. That's fantastic. How do you do on the nights when you don't have everything exactly right? When maybe things aren't going that well around you, when guys are making mistakes, you've got runners on base that you didn't uh you know put there on your own merits. You gotta find a way to get out of those. And I think that is now the missing piece, the next step. For him to be more than a a number five starter in the big leagues, that's what he's going to have to do. Consistency and even on a night when you don't have your best, can you still hold him to three runs or less?
0: Yeah, there was some first pitch ambushing going on in that fourth inning too. Uh, The David Bodie leadoff double, first pitch leadoff double. The uh, Rafael Ortega two-run homer to center field for a 5-1 Cubs lead. That was a first pitch two-run shot with a couple of outs. Nats' bullpen did do a good job on Saturday night. Three relievers combined to allow one run, four and two-thirds innings. Sam Clay, uh, two batters faced, two outs, top of the fifth. Jeffrey Rodriguez, one run in three innings. Andres Machado, perfect top of the ninth. And I was thinking about this, Mark. I've uh, distinguished throughout the season, okay, there's the A bullpen, the B bullpen, the varsity, and the junior varsity. What is the varsity bullpen? (laughs) like? All the varsity guys are gone. So I guess you'd say Kyle Finnegan is a part of the varsity. I guess Tanner Rainey, like, can we even distinguish anymore between the A bullpen and the B bullpen for the Nets?
1: Probably not. I would say Finnegan and Rainey, yeah. And I I am interested to see who gets the most save opportunities the rest of the way. You know, Finnegan's had two of them here. Rainey's just coming back from the injury, so I'm sure they're kind of easing him back into it. I mean, we thought all along Tanner Rainey is the closer of the future just because of the stuff, uh, you know, is so good. But I'll tell you what, Finnegan has impressed, and he throws 97, 98 at times as well. And what I like about him is he has not seemed phased by the big moments. When he loses a game or has a rough outing, it doesn't seem like it's because the moment got too big for him. Whereas with Rainey, the the meltdowns are pretty big. Uh, you know, when he falls apart, he really falls apart. So I, I'm curious to see how that goes. I think those are two important parts of this team moving forward. Now, we'll see what they do next year. Do they go out and feel like they need to get a more established closer just to, to help everyone out? Or do they trust the younger guys? Um, but you got to figure Rainey and Finnegan are a big part of what they're trying to do now and they're going to get opportunities now beyond them I don't know (laughs) all of a sudden Ryan Harper is pitching in more situations of consequence after never being used in it Jeffrey Rodriguez finally got the chance here Machado uh, you know we've seen some and then we didn't see him in this game but he is now part of the bullpen and that's the new guy Mason Thompson from uh, the Padres one of the reliever one of the prospects they got for daniel hudson he he got here kind of late I mean, he made it in time for the game but i think Davey wanted to just let him relax and not uh, be thrust right into it but i would not be surprised if we see him on sunday he has a little bit of big league experience uh with the padres earlier this year they're going to put him out there see what they have he's the first of the 12 uh, who will debut for this team and i think there are more coming here pretty soon that's another big part of what we're going to be watching the next two months
0: yeah, Mason Thompson was the Padres' number nine prospect for MLB Pipeline at the time of that trade. Uh, the Nats getting him and infielder Jordy Barley for Daniel Hudson in a deal that was officially announced very early on Friday morning. So to the point that you just made, it's really interesting right now with the Nationals rotation. It's like day by day. Uh, we, we don't know almost going into a given day. Well, who is the that starting pitcher for this game? It is going to be Eric Fetty for Game 3 against the Cubs Sunday afternoon at one oh five. And it is for now TBA when it comes to game one of a four game series against Philadelphia on Monday night. And it is sure feeling, Mark, like Josiah Gray might be the guy. In fact, Jesse Doherty, the Washington Post on Saturday, tweeted sources as Mike Rizzo indicated could happen. The expectation is that Josiah Gray will go straight to Washington and be activated by the Nationals likely later this week. And you told us that, hey, expect to see Gray probably sooner rather than later. I mean, do you think it's going to be as soon as Monday night that Josiah Gray is making his Nationals debut?
1: I think so. As long as he's fine and that he's, you know, settled in and, and what his pitching program is. And I, you know, confess to not knowing when he last pitched for Dodgers and uh, you know what his throwing program has been, where he, where he is for that. But they kind of need it to happen on Monday because I don't think they have another option <laughs> for that start. Uh Somebody else would be on short rest. There really aren't a whole lot of guys at AAA. They're waiting to call upon Jeffrey Rodriguez, who would maybe be like an emergency starter just through three innings in this game. So that's not going to be him. So yeah, I do think we are going to get our first look at Gray unless something strange happens. That That is the sense reading between the lines of what I've heard as well. And good. You know, let, let's do it. Let's see it. And what fascinates me about what we're going to see from some of these guys, as compared to what we've seen the last, say, five years when they've called up one of their top prospects, like a Lucas Giolito, like a Carter Keboom, those guys were thrown into pressure situations on teams that were trying to win. And they knew that the leash was going to be really short and you have a bad outing and they may send you back down to AAA. And I think that had a lot to do with what happened to Giolito here. Now, there were mechanics as well that helped them turn it all around, but if you remember when he was up here, I think it was only four starts. They weren't even four in a row. It was like, get called up for the start, sent back down, called back up. "Eh, All right, we'll give you one more shot. Nah, it didn't go so well. We're going to send you back down. When they call up Josiah Gray and as they're doing now with Thompson and when we see the catcher, uh, Caber Ruiz, to me, you put them out there and you say, don't worry about it. Go pitch, go hit, go catch, whatever it is that you do. And we're going to take a look at you and you don't need to worry about uh, if this one doesn't go well, you're out of a job or we're going to send you back to the minors or we're going to replace you, whatever, like take the pressure off of them. And I think that will go a long way toward easing them into this. Understand there are going to be some lumps. They may not come be gangbusters right out of the chute, but it now is the appropriate time to see what you have. And that will help shape the decisions that Mike Rizzo makes this winter based on what they see over these two months.
0: Especially with pitchers, you can't expect excellence right away. There are so many examples of really good starting pitchers who did not start out very well. Uh, Even someone like Max Scherzer, if you look at his initial major league seasons, they weren't great. He became great as time went on. I mean, the ultimate example is Roy Halladay, who got demoted to, I think it was single A at one point he was so bad, and then ended up becoming a Hall of Famer. So yeah, you know, let the guy know. I mean, you know, there is a a level that you have to perform at at some point, but have a leash on the guy that is fairly lengthy and, 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 you know, give him some room with which to grow. Now, it's worth pointing out, Josiah Gray has pitched at the major league level so far this year, eight innings over two games, including one start with the Dodgers. They did not go well. He gave up six runs in the eight innings. He gave up four homers, but he also has over those mere eight innings, a total of thirteen strikeouts. So it's like, hey, let's see what the guy has, see what he can do. And, you know, there's there's opportunity here. I mean, they don't have they still don't have many starting pitching options. I mean, especially off traded having traded Scherzer, it's not like there are a bunch of guys in the minors now who they can call up to start games. That's still a problem for them. So there's, you know, a chance here for Josiah Gray to be a part of the Nats rotation the rest of the season. But that'll be exciting. See when Mike Rizzo Said to you guys the other day, like, there's there was an excitement with all this. I don't think he, that was just GM speak. Like, I think there is. It, that, there's going to be some juice in the ballpark on Monday night if Josiah Gray is starting. Just like when, you know, when someone like Cabert Ruiz comes up, that's going to be exciting as well. There's real interest in someone like this, and there should be.
1: Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, I love major league debuts. I, I, I know this isn't his debut, like you just said, his pitch before, but I always love those moments. These are a big deal. And this is your future on display. And yeah, we probably do interpret too much into that one first time and draw a lot of conclusions. And you're right. It doesn't always work out that way. Two other names that come to mind. I know from early in their careers that they had really rough rookie years with John Smoltz and Tom Glavin back when the Braves were awful and they left him out. I think glad, I know you don't care about wins and losses, but I think Glavin had 19 losses as a rookie or something like that. So yeah, it happens. Let them figure it out. Let them go through that. It's okay to do that. But yeah, no, I love those. I get excited for anybody's major league debut or, or you know team debut in a situation like that. And um, let's see. I from what I gathered from the fans here the last couple of days, I think they're excited for that stuff too. Again, they're not happy with the situation that they're in now, but they understand it, I think most of them, and It's too late to do anything about it, so you might as well embrace this now and get behind it and start rooting for the kids and and hope that they show that this team can win within a couple of years.
3: Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National Season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.tv. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today, including Jackson Rutledge and Jordy Barley, who was just acquired in the Daniel Hudson trade from the Padres.
0: We continue to get a lot of great feedback. You can tweet us at the Nats Chat Podcast at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Nats chat Podcast at gmail.com. Email from Coral and Annandale. The optimist in me thinks the following. Since the NL East is so poor this season, I would not be shocked if the Nats sell and have a better winning percentage down the stretch than they have now. Yeah, we've talked about that. I do think that that's possible. He also says, I want to see the Nats embrace the role of spoiler and the crazy optimist in me wonders if they can spoil their way into a WFT like division. Yeah, it's funny. The NFC East was terrible this past NFL season and the National League East ain't much better uh, so far this MLB season. Still unlikely, but it's not impossible with this division for the Nats at least to be relevant in the standings for, I don't know, another month, six weeks. Who knows? I mean, it's not going to take that much for the Nats to be semi-relevant in the division for at least a little while longer.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, The Mets almost lost. They had to rally in the bottom ninth and then won it in the 10th. But that was almost another game that they lost. And I don't know who's going to win the division. I genuinely don't know. I mean, DeGrom is now out another several weeks. And who knows what he's going to be in September. The Mets didn't. I mean, they got Javi Baez, but they didn't do anything for their pitching staff. At the deadline, the Braves were probably the most aggressive team, picking up outfielders, a reliever. I mean, that was the team that we all thought was supposed to be the best, but they've been decimated by injuries to star players. The Phillies look like a mess still. Bryce Harper is like dropping routine fly balls. I mean, I don't know what's happening with them. So yeah, it would not shock me at all if the Nats make it kind of interesting. I guess I'll put it that way. they, They compete in all these games with them. One way or another, the Nats will impact who wins the NL East either because they're beating the teams that are in the race or potentially losing to the teams that are in the race. And that could go a long way toward determining it. But, you know, I even said this before we knew they were going to sell. I feel like this has been the case really every year under Davey Martinez, certainly the years they didn't make it in 18 and 20. It feels like they've played with all that pressure on them every year, especially as they were trying to win the World Series. And anytime they don't make it, it's almost like as soon as they realize, no, it's not going to happen this year it's like the weight's lifted off everyone's shoulders and they just go out and relax and have fun and play baseball and they end up winning more games. They end up as a better team. If you look at how they finished in September of 18 and how they finished like the last week or two last season in the shortened season, they play really well. So there's absolutely in my mind a chance that something like that happens. I'm not saying it's gonna be enough to like seriously contend for the division title, but I think you're gonna see some better baseball at times from them as they just relax and just go out and play.
0: The Division is just so weak. Four of the five teams have losing records. Four of the five teams have non positive run differentials. The Braves are the most bizarre team. One game under 500, but a plus 50 run differential. It's just, it's, it's such a, a strange, quirky division this season. Uh, we got an email from Aaron Sharp regarding Max Scherzer being dealt. He asked the question of, could Max have been dealt with the mindset that he still will re sign in DC? We've, we've discussed that. To me, that's possible, but not probable. I mean, if you're Max, at his stage in his career, why would you come back to the Nats unless you really believe the Nats are somehow going to be contenders next season? He wants to win. He's going to have uh, many better options this offseason and free agency to win, perhaps principal among them, the team that he's with now, the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, that is, for the remainder of Max Scherzer's career, that is priority number one. Try to win another World Series or more, <laughs> whatever that may be. So, He's only come. He likes it. He, he loves it here. He loves the organization, love the town and all that. And if the Nats were in a position that they thought they were going to be contenders again in 2022, like I said all along, I, I really believe there was a good chance that they would resign into like a two year deal. But everything we've seen them do, and this is where the, the Trey Turner part of the trade, I think, shows their true feelings about this, is that they're not expecting to contend next year. So unless there's some kind of big off season, uh, you know, they finish strong here. The kids look great. And Rizzo says, all right, wait, hang on a second. Let's spend a little bit of money and maybe give a run at this. I think it's highly unlikely and that Max is going to want to finish out his career somewhere where he thinks he has a chance to win a World Series. And by the way, did you see the photos of him in L.A. in Dodger blue? Boy, it looked weird. It looked really weird, didn't it?
0: It's not what we're used to. I think, honestly, he's going to kill it, though. I think he's going to be great for them. Probably. He could be the difference in terms of who wins the National League pennant. I could see him thriving. I mean, the Dodgers are a great organization. That's a a division filled with pitchers, parks. Every game is going to be a big game. The fans go nuts for the Dodgers out there. I I just think that is that. that, I mean, I know nobody wants to hear it. That is such a great situation for him right now. I think.
1: I agree. I agree. But it's just. But it's still weird. Still weird to see that color. Oh, it's it's. We're not used (laughs) to chatting up with Clayton Kershaw in the dugout like that. Just that just looked weird.
0: It's not supposed to be that way. I know, it was not supposed to be that way. One more email, and this is just uh, something I wanted to mention. We got an email from Pierre in the Netherlands. He says that his routine is to wake up, watch the highlights of the Nats game, and then listen to the Nats chat podcast. So we appreciate that. It's incredible, the reach of this podcast, the reach of the Nationals, and we've gotten a lot of more emails like this than you may think. (laughs) Our guy Pierre in the Netherlands is uh, downloading himself some Nats Chat podcasts on a day-in, day-out basis. So we appreciate that.
1: And he's probably the first one to listen every morning because, like, he's getting it at, you know, what Tim publishes these at, like, 3 a.m. or something. So what is, I don't know what time that is in the Netherlands, 9, 10 a.m. there, something like that. He he may be literally the first person to listen to the episode every morning.
0: He's the leadoff batter. He's the Victor Robles in terms of our listeners. (laughs) There you go. We like that. All right. A reminder, uh, Sunday morning, we're on the radio. We're on 106.1 ESPN in Richmond. If you are not in the Richmond area, you can listen online, ESPNRichmond.com. Uh, it's a best of installment. It's at 9 a.m. Sunday mornings, uh, 106.1 ESPN and ESPNRichmond.com. Again, like a best of of the uh, Nats Chat podcast. By the way, real quick, Richmond, you know, minor league baseball, why isn't Richmond a Nationals minor league affiliate? I know these things aren't always so simple. But, uh, you know, especially with the Washington football team having just wrapped up its uh, portion of training camp in Richmond, we have a lot of listeners of this podcast in the Richmond area. Do you know why the Nationals have never been able to strike a deal with Richmond?
1: This is a long conversation that's very convoluted, Al, but the, the short version is this. The ballpark there, it's still the old diamond that was built, I think, in the 80s, is not up to AAA standards. There are actual standards for what a AAA ballpark needs to be, and it's not there. So it would have to be double A. Now, for years and years in the old minor league structure, it was very difficult to move things around like that because you can't just take a double-A franchise and make it a triple-A franchise. These were all designated and even within their own league, so there kind of had to be a double-A team in the Eastern League. This is not the same franchise that used to be the Richmond Braves. The Braves, who owned that franchise, packed it up, relocated it to Gwinnett in Georgia, and that's their triple-A team. And the Richmond team it came from somewhere else, I want to say in Connecticut maybe, as a double A team and became the double A team. So there's all that. So that's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is because they can't be triple A, not without a new ballpark, they'd have to be a lower level double A. And while the Nats would love to have a connection to Richmond, they have, have a long standing relationship with Harrisburg. That goes back to when they were the Expos. It's been a really good, solid affiliation with them. And Harrisburg isn't far away either, and I know the Nats try to you know, venture up towards uh, Southern Pennsylvania as well. So I don't think they'd wanna give up Harrisburg for the sake of Richmond. The ideal scenario would be AAA, of course, but the structure of it right now, it's not possible. There would have to be a new ballpark, and then maybe you can work all these things out. But there was the bizarre thing in um, 2019 where the Nationals AAA affiliate was in Fresno and the Giants AA affiliate was in Richmond, Makes no sense at all. Those two—if you could have just flip-flop those two, it'd be perfect. But of course, you can't do it. it doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. That—that that would be perfect, though. Harrisburg Double A, AA, Richmond Triple A. Maybe at some point we get that. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast.
4: Here's a swing of the drive, deep left center field. This is way back, and this one is off the glove of half on the warning track. Heading for third, around third, Soto. He's going to come in to score, and holding it second is Yadiel Hernandez, showing that opposite field power with a boomer to left center.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.